Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast where we embrace and explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our everyday lives as Catholic women. My name is Chloe Langer, and today I'm having a conversation about why St. Elizabeth of the Trinity is the perfect saint for modern Catholic women to get to know. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Claire Dwyer. She's the author of This Present Paradise. It's a book about the life of this amazing saint that has topped Amazon charts and sold out multiple times over the past few months. She's sharing about her friendship with St. Elizabeth of the Trinity and what she's taught her about dreams, suffering, and rejecting the lie of being unlovable or unworthy. We're also diving into the fact that saints are human and that they have personalities and how we can recognize those personalities at play as we grow in friendship with the saints. If you are in a season where you're having to sacrifice things to the Lord and lay everything down at his feet, even the gifts and talents that he's given you, and maybe you're wondering how in the world sacrificing your gifts could possibly be his plan or something that the Lord will be glorified in. Sister, this letter's for you. This episode of Letters to Women is sponsored by House of Joppa, a beautifully modern online Catholic store. Every House of Joppa product is curated from some of the best artisans throughout the world, many of whom share in our Catholic faith. So whether you are shopping for a recent grad or you want to send someone something special to celebrate this last couple weeks of the Easter season, check out House of Joppa. Letters to Women listeners get 15% off their order at checkout with the code LETTERS15. That's one word, all caps, LETTERS15. Check out the link to House of Joppa in the show notes, or you can visit their website, houseofjoppa.com. That's houseofjoppa.com. Okay, let's get into this conversation with Claire. Today, I'm welcoming to the podcast, Claire Dwyer. Claire works for the Avila Foundation as editor and contributor of their website, spiritualdirection.com. Her work is also featured on various Catholic sites, including Catholic Mom, Endow Groups, and the National Catholic Register, and on her own blog, Even the Sparrow. She speaks frequently on the topic of saints and spirituality, respect for life, and the mission and vocation of women in the church today. Claire's led a large women's study group at her Phoenix parish for the last six years and has a passion for helping women see the beauty and possibility in their own interior lives and their unrepeatable place in the church. She has a degree in theology from Franciscan University and is now a student in the Avila Institute's graduate program in spiritual theology. And most importantly, she's been married for 22 years to her husband and they have six children who keep them on their toes and on their knees. Claire, welcome to Letters to Women. It's so good to have you on the show. Hi, Chloe. It is great to be here. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about your brand new book, This Present Paradise, as well as how St. Elizabeth of the Trinity can help us as women today grow in our prayer life. But to start us off, Claire, can you tell me about your story as a Catholic woman? Yes, I'd be happy to, although I will admit that it took me a few years to even realize I had a story which now has become an important message to me for every woman to understand and believe that she has a story and that God is writing something beautiful with her life, even though it might not be exciting. I don't know some about you, but sometimes I hear amazing conversion stories and um, I think to myself, well, that would be nice, you know, to have. I'd love to have a story like that. The reality is that the Lord has kept me very close to him and his church through my whole life. And that is an amazing miracle in and of itself. Um, So to him be the glory. I was raised in a very devout Catholic family, one of five children. My father um, started an international pro-life organization, which took him all over the world. And um, we were really raised in a culture um, not only close to the church, but to the culture of life. And uh, that was an incredible blessing for me. Uh, When I was a young 
teenager, my parents went through a life in the spirit seminar and had an even deepening conversion and uh, a real profound experience of the Holy Spirit through the charismatic renewal. And I stumbled upon a book that they had at home called Let the Fire Fall by Father Michael Scanlon, who is the, um, many of you may know him as the president of Franciscan University of Steubenville, who really turned the university around and created this incredible culture of um, evangelization and on fire with the Holy Spirit and Orthodox Catholicism. And I was reading his story and I was reading about the Holy Spirit and I just felt like that's where I need to go. I want to know the Holy Spirit the way that this, you know, priest is um, explaining the power and the the amazing life that the church offers us when we live fully immersed in the life of the Spirit and cooperating with the, those powerful graces that um, that all, that are meant for all of us by virtue of our baptism. So I did. I went to Franciscan University and I went as an English major because I liked writing, but I took one class with Scott Hahn my freshman year. I sat in that class for about two weeks before I realized, oh my goodness, there is so much more about the faith in the church that even somebody like myself who was raised, you know, Catholic, went to Catholic schools, prayed every day, had no idea about. I mean, this, the church is this vast story starting with, you know, creation um, and it's still unfolding in history. And when I heard Scott Hahn kind of explaining salvation history, I thought that's it. I'm becoming a theology major. So um, change of plans, theology major. They had no idea what I was going to do with it. And well, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. But also met my husband at Franciscan University, and we were married shortly after. He's from Phoenix, so we moved um, out here and started our family. And after my youngest was born, I really kind of felt a stirring in my heart to go deeper in my own formation um, and started taking classes in spiritual theology, which took, I'm a few weeks away now from getting my certification. It took me about five years to do that, uh, more than five years. But, um, and in the process of studying, also became employed with the organization and began writing and editing, which is what I started out wanting to do in the very beginning. And God had a very roundabout way of bringing me back. He's a God of circles, Chloe. I think we all realize that at some point in our life, he loves to kind of bring us full circle in this beautiful way. Um, so when the writing of the book came through my experience um, as a student of spiritual theology and as a writer, so uh, it's been a great adventure. I love how you share the story, especially as a woman who, like you said, the Lord's kept you close to his church, because I think there is a temptation, especially for cradle Catholics, to hear stories of conversion, even reading through scripture and to look at St. Paul's story and think, oh, if only I had a horse that the Lord could knock me down off of and I could lead <laughs> <know>. with that. <laughs> you know, and the, the reality is, though, that conversion, it, like we all have conversion points. And that, and that conversion is a, an a experience of a lifetime. And so to look at it, like, I don't have that one defining moment where, you know, the Lord went to the ends of the earth for me and brought me back does not mean that the Lord has not, you know, 
done miracles in your life to keep you close to him because the reality is God probably knew that if I left, I'd never come back. It was nothing to do with me. It was and I, and I think at one point I just realized, you know, you're not giving him enough credit. When you say you don't have a story, he's like, um, hello. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Claire, I first got to know you through a book that you just wrote called This Present Paradise, A Spiritual Journey with St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. And it's published by Sophia Institute Press. And in this book, you introduce readers to a little known but fast ascending saint. And you show readers how to overcome aridity in prayer and discover really new ways to bring peace to relationships with our family. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what readers will find inside this book and what inspired you to write This Present Paradise. The book is really, like I said, it came out of my studies in spiritual theology. And I was taking a class called The Holy Spirit and the Divine Indwelling. And really, we were diving deep into the writings of the saints about how, you know, by virtue of our baptism, we really are temples of the Holy Spirit and of the Trinity, that God dwells within us in a very particular and very powerful way, but we often live our lives completely unaware of the fact. And one of the required readings for the class was of, of blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. At the time, this young woman wasn't even canonized yet when I started reading her writings. And the required reading for the class was her last, or excuse me, um, one of her retreats which was um, Heaven and Faith. And the retreat was written for her sister, who was a married woman at home with two young children. And St. Elizabeth of the Trinity was a Carmelite nun in France at the turn of the century, so around the same, same time as St. Therese of Lisieux. And I realized that while I loved Therese of Lisieux and I loved the writings of St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, a lot of the Carmelite saints, which the church holds up as like these prime examples of prayer and the interior life and stages of holiness and growth in union with God. And they're incredibly inspiring and relevant for all of us. I had found in this blessed at the time, Elizabeth, what I really believed was like the link from the convent and the cloister and this deep interior recollected prayer life that the Carmelites wrote about and my life as a mom in the kitchen and the carpool lane and you know the grocery store checkout line because she had for many years lived in the world before entering the convent she was only 21 when she entered but she knew she had a vocation from the time she was 14 and she was prevented from entering um, by her mother so this young woman had to learn to live as a Carmelite with a Carmelite heart in the world for many years before she was allowed to enter. And the way that she wrote from the convent to all of her friends and family who were still lay people living in the world and, you know, raising children, struggling with married life, um, facing all of the things that you and I get up to face every day. It was so beautiful and it was so rich and it was distilled down. Um, not watered down, but like given in a way that was accessible and understandable to laity in the world. I thought this is it. This is such a beautiful synthesis of the spirituality that I've been hungering for. So at that point, the desire really was placed on my heart to dive more into her life, to write about her, to um, introduce her to other women in particular. I mean, I think she's a saint for everyone, but 
of course, women will identify a lot with her life. And it took me many years. It literally probably took three years to just, you know, get to the point where I could put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard and get it done. And it was the majority of it was written during the height of COVID in 2020 when my kids were all home from school all day. But the Lord made it happen, and I'm so grateful and blessed to be able to introduce this saint who was only canonized in 2016 to help kind of introduce her to the world. Although, Chloe, I will say that true to her nature and her charism, St. Elizabeth has made herself known to more people than I could have ever realized. And so many people are coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, I've loved her for so long. I've, I've known about Elizabeth for so long. We've been friends forever. So I don't know if that's true for you or if she's a new saint for you, but um, she is kind of, she's making herself public, although I think she's been around for a long time in people's lives. You know, I had, I've heard about her in passing in conversation from friends who had very similar experiences to yours who love the Carmelites and then have a, a very special friendship with Elizabeth. But it wasn't until I read your book that I really got to know Elizabeth. And I think what's really beautiful about her story is that as a married woman with little kids at home, I think my tendency when it comes to my friendship with the saints, especially my friendship with women who are saints, is to go for married women, for mothers, to look to them which there's such a beauty in being in a similar season that these women who have attained like the tops of holiness and are praising the Lord in heaven and interceding for me, there's such a beauty there. But I think what was especially intriguing about St. Elizabeth's life is that she speaks into it with such clarity and brings a totally new perspective to it, especially when she's in the convent and speaking, especially to her sister. Or it reminds me of when St. Pope John Paul II speaks into marriage and theology of the body as a celibate man. And it's beautiful to see his perspective. And so to see her speak into the reality of, of married life and motherhood, as a celibate woman. It's absolutely beautiful. Yes, I, I agree with that. And I think there's so much richness to, con to, like you said, a different perspective. We can get in the mindset that um, with our friendships or with, you know, um, that we have to be with people exactly at the same stage that we are. And there's a beauty to that. There's a, like a solidarity, you know, like we're all going through this together. But in my own experience with leading women's groups, and we have a large one at our parish of about 50. The beautiful part, the most beautiful part is when we're having women from all different walks of life speaking into each other's life. The women, the w women that have lost children, that have buried husbands, that have um, our grandmothers, you know, speaking into the lives of young women who feel like, just despair over is are things ever going to change you know or I'm just struggling so much at this season with toddlers and just to hear for somebody else's perspective and say I've been there I totally understand and this is my perspective and the saints like you said they're beautiful married saints that can speak into our lives in ways that we can really identify with and then there are saints that can say well I'm not where you are but I can give you some perspective that can widen your horizons a little bit and help you realize that this vast communion of saints has so much wisdom. And if we just avail ourselves of it and make ourselves vulnerable to the stories of these women that have come before us that have experienced the same God, the same church, the same Holy Spirit that we are invited to participate in fully, it can change our life if we just allow it to. It's beautiful. The body of Christ is just a never 
ending well of riches. It's so true. In the book, you write really beautifully about this kind of season of transition for Elizabeth when she is, she's living in the world. She's not entering the convent quite yet. And she has these gifts and talents that as as soon as she enters the convent, she really has to sacrifice them. One of them being her love of music, how, you know, playing piano and having this rich life of appreciation of music isn't really something that fit well into the vocation of Carmel. And I love this line that you have in the book that you write, how many mothers have, even if just for a few years, had to let go of plans and promising opportunities to stay home with little souls. God is glorified in our willingness to lay down even his own gifts at his feet. I'd love to hear what advice you would have for listeners who are maybe in a season of having to set aside or sacrifice their gifts um, in the in the season of vocation that the Lord is calling them into and what Elizabeth of the Trinity would have to say about that sacrifice as well. Mm, I have so much to say about this. So let me try to break it down a little bit because it's a passion of mine to just help uh, people and women especially identify their gift, their gifts, their charisms, those things that we've been given by virtue of our baptism that aren't even meant for us. They're meant for the church. They're meant to be given away and used and um, developed for God's glory and, and in the process, our own sanctification. However, there's seasons for everything in our life. Um, and I'll use myself as an example of this, and I think that's why I can write about it with such conviction. So, I'm a mom of six, and there was definitely a season in my life where I was fully in the mothering season. I mean, I just there wasn't time for much else. I was definitely loving it, challenged by it, um, and and growing in many ways personally. But I was not called to use my gifts um, in service of the church very much um, at the time. Looking back, I can see little ways that God was kind of planting seeds, but. Um, and when my youngest was born, I had this kind of stirring in my heart. I felt the Lord saying to me in my prayer time, I have more for you. And immediately I was like, well, that sounds great because the diapers and the laundry and the like packing lunches, like this is, you know, it's all good Lord, but if you've got more for me, I'm ready for it at this point. Um, and nothing happened. And I, what I realized at that point is the, the more that the Lord was inviting me into was more depth, more prayer, more surrender, um, more embracing of my vocation. And he was really challenging me to say, are you willing to even lay down um, again and again, because it's this ongoing process, it's this ongoing invitation to lay down even your gifts at my feet. Now, Eventually, um, like I said, I, I started doing one thing at a time. I felt called to take a class. I felt called to start a blog. And I did small steps in obedience to his call that eventually opened up in ways like a full-time job working for the church or, you know, in writing a published book that I could not at the time have foreseen. So it was very gradual. It was very slow. And it was very much an act of surrender to my state in life, which is for all of us our primary vocation. And if we ever try to use our gifts and it's to the detriment of being a wife or a mother or whatever vocation the Lord has placed in our lives, it's, it can never be his will. And the lasting fruit will always come from those acts of surrender um, 
where we sacrifice even our own gifts at his feet, only to see them resurrected, Chloe. It's, it's really a message of hope for anyone who finds yourself in that season of struggle, that they will be resurrected in a way that is beyond our wildest dreams, and often maybe not what we look, think it's going to look like in the end. But um, God has a plan for each one of us, and if we follow that plan, we will be happier and more fulfilled than we could really ever imagine. I love, too, how it speaks into the seasonality of women's lives, how there is a season for women who are wives and mothers of little kids where it is diapers and cereal and constantly picking things up off the ground. And then that season changes and is transformed into another season of a new season of of mothering. And eventually your children grow up and they leave the house. And that's a new season. And how the Lord is present in all of those seasons and inviting us to surrender gifts and talents and desires and dreams. But I love to what you said about how this is not something where we just abandon it and think that the Lord's ignoring that gift, but instead that these are hopes and dreams that he's desiring to resurrect in a way that we may not have selected on our own, um, but ultimately is that it, that it's his will. Exactly. And a lot of times the fruitfulness, actually probably all the time, the fruitfulness of the season where we may be more, um, actively in some apostolate or ministry or, you know, a personal, a job, something that the Lord does call us to maybe later, the fruitfulness of that will come from the growth that happened when we were learning to um, conform our will to God and those seasons when we did have to let things go. And for those of us that have to work and still have young children at home, it's not that there isn't a place for that or a season for that either. And God will equip you for what he calls you to in your particular season. Um, so I don't want to make it sound like there isn't sometimes a, you know, you have a podcast and young children. So it's not necessarily that it's one or the other yet in any particular stage in our life, one will take precedence and we will always daily find ourselves having to give something up for something greater, even when it's painful. Yeah. I think that is the reality of the integration that we're called to as Catholic women are a rightly ordered life. These are all gifts that we've been given, but making sure that one doesn't become an idol over our vocation and especially an idol idol over the Lord um, to put something like a ministry or a dream or a desire above his plans for us and our relationship with him too. Yes. It's tempting, I think, sometimes when we look at the lives of the saints, the life of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and think of them as, you know, put them on a pedestal, think of them as superhuman. I think what your book does really beautifully is show that the saints are people too, and they're recognizing their humanity, their dreams and desires, uh, what they struggled with, can help us in our daily striving for holiness. I'd love to hear more about some of the saints that you identify with, and maybe some specific ways that you identified with Elizabeth of the Trinity, especially while you wrote this book about her life. Yes, absolutely. Um, on surface, of course, I don't have much in common with Elizabeth of the Trinity. I even talk about her personality, which is opposite of mine. My, I am a very like passive, non-confrontational, peacemaking kind of personality, and she was a choleric uh, with a fiery temper. Although that was, you know, that would be changed by grace. Um, although we always have the same nature, so she was definitely a strong-willed individual. Um, and certainly as a religious, I can't identify with that. But there was one thing in particular besides the, the season of waiting, which I certainly identify with. Um, I was delighted to read that she was completely scatterbrained and forgetful and would lose the keys all the time to the convent because she her job at for um, a few years was 
um, fortress, which means that she was kind of in charge of um, the door to the convent and kind of um, bringing into the convent what was needed and giving messages to the extern sisters outside. So she had the key. And in an enclosed convent, that key is very important. And she was losing it all the time. In fact, I read one point, there were some worker men that came in to fix the gas at the convent. And apparently when you're cloistered, you're not only locked from the outside, you're locked in as well. So she lost the key and these guys were locked into the convent. <laughs> they were like, Elizabeth, where is the key? They can't even get out. She was famous for um, taking a message and then forgetting who the message was for. So she had a note for a nun and could remember who it was supposed to go to. And I just remember thinking, oh, thank the Lord. There's hope for me because I am the most forgetful. Oh, just ask my family. I'm always trying to find my phone, my keys. I've left my purse in the shopping cart at the grocery store and driven home. I mean, I put that story in the book because it was relevant. Um, so, it, you know, saints are just humans and we can definitely, like you said, put them on a pedestal and see them as something other than us. Well, the reality is they are just as human as we are even in heaven and they maintain those personalities um, without the faults, maybe, but they certainly maintain their personalities in heaven and become more of who they are. And so when, when you find yourself loving the story of a saint, know that that saint is every bit as much that person today in your prayer as they were on earth. And so um, I just enjoy friendship with the saints. Another saint that I happen to love is St. Edith Stein, another Carmelite. The Lord's definitely um, putting the Carmelites in my life in this season for whatever reason. I just love the fact that she also had to wait before entering the convent. After her conversion from the Jewish faith to the Catholic faith, she wanted to immediately become a Carmelite. And her spiritual director wisely said, no, I think you need to spend some time, you know, just being a Catholic first. So she went to live um, with the Dominicans at an all-girls school for teachers, um, teaching young women to be teachers. And she spent years um, studying the Catholic faith, writing about particularly St. Thomas Aquinas, writing about women's um, identity and vocation, and giving the church some of the most important thoughts on women's spirituality that we've ever had, which in turn would shape Pope John Paul II and his um, idea of the feminine genius. So how beautiful that her spiritual director had the wisdom to say, I think you need to be just Edith Stein for a while. And um, she just left this great deposit of, of, you know, wisdom. And then, of course, she entered um, and was, in effect, martyred for the faith in, um, in Auschwitz, was one of the first to be killed in Auschwitz. So her story is, um, is one that I just find very inspiring as well. I think it's tempting to think that when the saints get to heaven, they become faceless people in white robes mm -hmm. and, and we don't mm -hmm. know who they are. I love that idea of recognizing a saint's personality, both in what we know about what they lived like here on earth, but then also in the way they interact with their lives. Now, another uh, saint who comes to mind when I think of someone who truly is still very much uh, a part of my life and lives out her personality so beautifully, St. Therese, where you see her writing... Mm -hmm. And, and she talks about what she'll do when she gets to heaven and she has this plan and goal and, and desires and dreams. And lo and behold, she 
she does exactly what she told us she would. And so I think it's beautiful to think of what was the personality of the saint and how are they interacting in my life as a Catholic woman um, in a way that's true to their personality. And then it's just reveals their humanness so much more but I love how you said it's a perfected personality that maybe maybe St. Elizabeth probably is not losing the keys in heaven so there's hope (laughs) exactly you know in one of the last letters that Elizabeth wrote during her short life on earth, she has this line that she wrote to Mother Germaine where she says, let yourself be loved. And she writes that line six times throughout this letter and reminds Mother that she wasn't only loved by God, but I love this phrase, she was uncommonly loved. For women, especially as mothers, sometimes it's easy to focus on how to love others well in our life more so than to reflect on the reality that we're loved too, and to let ourselves be loved. So when it comes to listeners, especially listeners who are in a season of of motherhood, but really every woman, how would you encourage women who struggle with this lie of unworthiness or the worry that they might be unlovable? Yes. Well, I'm glad you put it that way because it is very much a lie. It's a lie that Satan speaks into um, very powerfully at times. And we need to learn to reject it and receive the love of God because it's our primary vocation in life is to just be loved. Um, You're right. Elizabeth did write this letter to the prioress, Mother Germaine. And so, you know, if we think for a minute, this is a woman who was in charge of a convent of nuns um, at a very, by the way, particularly difficult time in France for religious. Um, The French government was anti-Catholic at the turn of the century, and they were literally confiscating church property. They were driving away religious um, teaching orders in the name of freedom, and even some of the Carmelite convents were being closed and the um, religious forced to leave France. And Elizabeth's own convent had secured a house in Belgium in the case that they would also be forced to leave, which they were not, but their chapel was closed to the public for a while. So there was this great uncertainty. So you can imagine what it would be like to be the head of a religious group at a time when you didn't even know how long you had it. You would literally have to go in exile and you were in charge. Besides just the daily, you know, struggles of an entire community of women, like living together. You know what I mean? Like we think being a mom is hard. I can only imagine. So Elizabeth is watching this young woman who honestly was in her 30s at the time and um, leading this convent and, um, you know, being a mother to all of these women and really carrying a large weight on her shoulders and doing a beautiful job of it. Mother Germaine was a beautiful personality who Elizabeth even called at times her, quote, priest in the sense of, you know, the universal priesthood of the lady. Um in the sense that she helped Elizabeth offer her life to God, just as the priest would offer the host to the father. So she had this great love and respect for this beautiful mother, the spiritual mother that God had brought into her life. At the same time, apparently she realized that Mother Germaine needed to hear something, that she needed to hear it very badly, and she needed to hear it multiple times and have it just kind of um, drilled into her. And so she wrote a letter while she was dying to Mother Germaine that Mother would not find until after Elizabeth had already died. And what it basically said was, your first vocation is to simply be loved by God. It's not even to love. Um, 
we are called to love, we are called to reflect the love of the Father, but in order to do that, we have to fully know that we are loved and receive that love and allow it to transform us. And that's a, that's an ongoing process. That's not a one and done thing. Mother Germaine didn't read that letter and then not have to go back to it. In fact, when they found the letter, when the church found the letter after Mother died, nobody knew about its existence until Mother Germaine died. They, it was worn out. She had read and reread that throughout her life because it's a message we need to hear because it's exactly where the enemy will take our woundedness, take our brokenness, take those places of rejection, take the messages that the world has to tell us that we are nothing or that we are what we do or that we are how many rosaries we say or that we are how good a mom we are, how clean our house is. Those are all lies. The, the reality is that we are created good and beautiful and that God loves us as we are, meets us where we are, calls us to become more for sure, but that he loves us in the moment. And the act of receiving his love is often nothing more than just placing ourselves in his presence and asking him to show us how much he loves us. And I think that's the call for all of us at times is to just go into prayer, not with an agenda, um, not with any pre-written ideas of what God has to tell us, but just place ourselves in his presence and allow him to reveal to us how very, very deeply we are loved. That is so beautiful. And I think to one of many things that Elizabeth of the Trinity teaches us as women in particular, uh, regardless of what maternity looks like in your own life. And I, I think all lessons that you write beautifully about in your new book, for listeners who are wanting to continue this conversation and dive deeper and get to know Elizabeth of the Trinity as a new heavenly friend, where can they find you online and pick up a copy of your book, This Present Paradise? Yes, thank you. I would love um, anybody that would like to know more to go to eventhesparrow.com. Um, that's my website. The links for purchasing the book are there, as well as updates about um, different studies and things happening around the book's release, um, as well as where I blog. And so I would love to keep in touch with you if you sign up there. You'll hear about um, new things that I'm writing and where I am and what I'm doing. So that would be great. The book is available on Amazon and at Sophia Press. So you can go there and um, order a copy and uh I'd love to hear what you think. So keep in touch. Wonderful. You know, Claire, the one question that I ask every woman who comes on this podcast is, is this one, the one that we'll close out our conversation with? How do you live out the feminine genius in your everyday life, especially as a woman who's encouraging others to encounter the Lord in the present moment? I'm going to tell you that I have discovered my feminine genius through growing closer to the Lord. I don't think I ever had a time when I didn't realize that women had a unique vocation and mission. I don't think I ever had a, a moment where I didn't feel that the Lord um, had designed me with particular gifts for the church and the world and that it had something to do with my femininity. But I will tell you that as I have grown in prayer and as I have my prayer life has deepened and matured and my life um, has developed, I have discovered more of who I am. So the beautiful thing about growing closer to God and being really diligent in your own spiritual life and nurturing that, taking time for that, is that you will not only discover more of who God is, but you will discover who you are. Because when you see the face of God, you will also see yourself reflected in his eyes. And 
the way that I live out my feminine vocation as a wife and a mom and a writer and a, and a speaker and somebody passionate about the beauty of a woman's interior life is entirely different than the way that each one of us, that each one of you is called to live out your feminine vocation. I just offer that as a message of hope that even if you struggle to know how you're going to live out your vocation, if you take time in prayer to get to know the Lord, he's going to reveal that to you in an incredibly unique and powerful way, who you are in his eyes and what he's called you to. Um, so I just offer that. I think it's beautiful that as women, we have a universal vocation to live out the feminine genius, every single one of us in, in some way or, or other. But we all have a particular path that that's going to be lived out. It's going to look different for every woman, but it's going to be unrepeatably beautiful for all of us. Claire, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for sharing about your friendship with Elizabeth of the Trinity and about how you live out the feminine genius. This has been such a joy to sit down with you this morning. Chloe, I love your passion for women. I love that you want to bring these stories um, into their homes and their hearts. So thank you for having me. I love talking with you today. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Letters to Women. Head over to letterstowomenpodcast.com and check out this week's show notes. Or if you're listening in your podcast player, just scroll down to browse through links to get your own copy of This Present Paradise and connect with Claire on her blog. Hit subscribe to Letters to Women wherever you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss a single new episode. And if you're an Apple user, I would love it if you could leave Letters to Women a, a rating and a review and let other women know why you enjoy listening and tuning into the show. Follow along with the podcast and myself and get all of the behind the scenes shots over on Instagram at Letters to Women underscore podcast. Tomorrow, if you're listening on the day that this episode released, so May 18th, uh, which is a Tuesday, Sarah Estabrooks from the blog to Jesus Sincerely is taking over the Letters to an Instagram account to share about a letter that she wrote to you in the Letters to Women book about encountering Christ in Eucharistic adoration. So make sure to follow along for her Takeover Tuesday and get to know her and her experience with a feminine genius. Don't forget the new Letters to Women book is out and available in Letters to Women Embracing the Feminine Genius in Everyday Life, a book published by Tan Books. You'll get to encounter women who wrote letters to encourage you to find your own unique feminine genius in your daily life as a woman. And there are discussion questions to help you enter into meaningful conversation with women in your life or journaling questions to break down the feminine genius in prayer with the Lord. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I've loved sharing it with you. And until next time, be not afraid.